big sky, big potential. This is the East of England. This is Eastern Promise. I'm Mike Rigby and welcome to episode 55 of Eastern Promise. This week, my guest is Professor Cheryl Davenport, Managing Director of the East of England Local Government Association, ILGA, the membership body for the region's 50 councils. We'll discuss ILGA's huge convening power, working alongside all 50 councils, large or small, in the east of England. Remember, the statutory responsibilities these councils hold gives their work a direct impact on our lives, homes and businesses. ILGA also works closely with the MPs and peers of the East of England All-Party Group and will be hearing from our region's parliamentarians and more direct from the House of Commons. And finally, in an age of hurly-burly, where's your go-to spot for inner calm? Breathe deeply and be present in the moment for the munificent, mindful magic of crowd sorcery. But first, all the news that is news across the east of England. Innovate Cambridge aims to initiate an inclusive, ambitious and broad-ranging innovation vision for the Greater Cambridge area. Let's take a listen as some of the leading lights behind Innovate Cambridge tell us more. Starting with Professor Andy Neely, OBE, Senior Pro-Vice-Chancellor at the University of Cambridge. together stakeholders from across the innovation ecosystem, from the public sector, the private sector, local government officials, to really think about the future of Cambridge. Dermot O'Brien. If we can bring that concerted effort of the community together, then we can begin to use that as a tool to unlock capital, maybe to unlock policy change, and to begin to share a narrative beyond Cambridge with other ecosystems about what we want to do. Edward Bentle to fulfil its potential as one of the world's leading ecosystems. It requires all of the stakeholders to come together to form a shared vision. You have the assets that are enviable. How are you going to take that to the next level? Julie Wagner, President of the Global Institute for Innovation Districts, ending that introduction to Innovate Cambridge, whose film that was. Eastern Promise is proud to have signed up to the Innovate Cambridge Charter and to support Innovate Cambridge's mission. If you like what you heard, and let's face it, why wouldn't you? Innovate Cambridge needs your support to gather insights and focus on the issues that matter to you. To do this, please head over to innovatecambridge.com forward slash news forward slash innovate dash Cambridge dash launches dash survey forward slash and fill out the survey there Eastern Promise really looks forward to supporting Innovate Cambridge as it grows This week brings a huge new announcement from 
Eastern Promise. Yes, that's right, this very podcast. For the last 17 months, Eastern Promise has grown like crazy, meeting extraordinary people doing amazing things in our region, in science, business, academia, the arts and for the environment. It has been, and continues to be, an honour to share these stories with you and with a global audience. However, I know Eastern Promise has the capacity to do more. I believe that the East of England, its people, its places, both its existing and its emerging sectors, have an exciting and positive story to tell about potential and the opportunity to address many of the difficult issues facing the region, the country and indeed the world. That our region requires investment is not in question. Eastern Promise exists because I believe that investment will come through emphasising the East of England's strengths, not its weaknesses, by making an offer, not a demand, and by talking about what we have, not what we lack. That is why Eastern Promise is now a community interest company, aiming to share stories of the incredible potential of our region and the people making it happen. I want to boost belief in the East of England as a place to live, work and play and bring people together to discuss not just the problems we face but more importantly what we can actually do about them to discover what power is within our hands to make real change for the better if that's something you agree with and you want to come along on this exciting journey of discovery ideas and engagement i want to hear from you if you think you have an interesting story for the podcast get in touch if you want to support or associate yourself or your company with this endeavour, drop me a line. Contact me at mike at easternpromise.site. That's S-I-T-E as in website. Mike at easternpromise.site. And let's start a conversation. And that was the rather self-obsessed news that was. Send your stories and press releases to me, care of newsdesk at easternpromise.site. Local government is the most vital cog in the democratic machinery. And if you think that statement is a bit over the top, ask yourself this. Without your local council, Who'd empty your bins? Deal with planning applications, housing and education. Who would ensure that environmental and public health were kept high on the agenda? That sounds like a huge challenge. And in a region as large as ours, with huge differences in and between council areas, uh, the South Cambridge District Council doesn't share many of the same challenges with the Unitary Authority in Southend-on-Sea, for instance. It's even more impressive that a body like the East of England Local Government Association exists, and not only that, is driving forward its unique convening role. I sat down on a bright but breezy afternoon with the Managing Director of the East of England LGA, Professor Cheryl Davenport, to find out more. Professor Cheryl Davenport, the Managing Director of the East of England Local Government Association, welcome to Eastern Promise. What a pleasure it is to have you on, on the programme here on a very sunny but windy day at County Hall in Norwich. Could you give us, please, a potted history 
of Cheryl Davenport. I can, I can. Interestingly enough, I might go back to uh, the late 80s when I actually was living in Norwich. Hey. Uh, I was a student at the UEA um, and I worked at Gerald's as a part-time job. Uh, so, yes, my links with Norwich go back a fair way. Um, so, yes, I studied at the UEA. I then uh, was a trainee in the NHS, a general management trainee at the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital um, for two years and then went on to have a career in the NHS in the UK. Wow. I then moved abroad um, and worked in America for a period of time and came back to the UK in 2005, back to the NHS again in, in director roles, in um, PCTs they were at the time. Yes, I remember PCTs, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, working in Leicestershire. And uh, from there, I then transitioned into a joint role between local government and the NHS in 2014. And that's when I got to find out all about what really happens in local government. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a brilliant job. I was there for six years and um, I was a joint appointment between uh, the two CCGs in Leicestershire and the County Council and I was uh, hosted at the County Council and I was able to um, find out a lot more about all the different facets of work of, of councils. Being a health and care person for the majority of my career I could then find out all sorts of things about, you know, highways, transport, housing, <laughs> uh, many other things, and worked with a lot of the district councils as part of that role. We did a big project on housing and health. Um, and then very gradually, cool, yeah. yeah, very important, gradually um, decided I would challenge myself to move on in, in my career in local government after, you know, 20 plus years in the, in the NHS. And so I find myself January 2020... Applying for a job as the East of England LGA's managing director, and started in in post in the in the May of 2020. So, right in the in the teeth of of the pandemic. Mm. Clearly, at the time I I did the interview, we didn't know what was before us. But um, yeah, so for the first year, pretty much of this role, we were we were thrown into into dealing with the pandemic response. So that was a a very challenging year for the whole organisation and for the whole country. Um, I mean, uh, there was something I was going to come on to, but let's let's pivot to that uh, quick, quickly now. What, what does that look? What did that look like for you as an organisation? I mean, obviously, the, the local um, authorities had their role, and I remember a very nice lady from Breckland showing up at the door um, and asking if we were all okay, and that was that was really that was really heartwarming. That was really welcome. But what was what was Ilga's role as that kind of was it like a support supporting the, the authorities is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, but very much so. So, I mean, clearly there were there were days and hours where new information was 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 landing on on the public sector, you know, at a rate of knots. Part of our role was to help councils digest that information quickly, work with partners in the region to respond to it, and in some cases help shape what that response would look like. Um, I think at the very beginning of my tenure in role, we were meeting probably as, as a group of chief execs virtually across the region up to three times a week mm. because things were moving so, so quickly. So obviously there was the responding and supporting vulnerable people, getting information and supplies out to people. And then as time moved on, working with the NHS to coordinate the vaccination response 
um, you know, lots of uh, council facilities and staff were involved in, in, in that response as well. Really, it was, it was a very fast-moving uh, mm. year. But by the time I think we got sort of towards the autumn of that year, we were also very concerned at ILGA about helping councils plan for the recovery period from COVID. Yes. And we, we held some round tables, virtual round tables at that time, to think about what people would most need next, because part of the role of our organisation is to be, you know, one step ahead, anticipating what councils will need, um, policy and, and practical terms, and putting in place the, the network's advice, guidance and support that helps them to, to, to deliver their roles. So, yes, we were very much in operational response mode, but we also had that one eye on actually who's thinking about the next 12 months and what that will look like for councils as they come through this yeah. this challenge. You're talking about anticipating need. Uh, so how do you do that? What's the process involved in that? Because that sounds like a really, really tough, t- tough gig because you've not only got the movement of, of, I mean, here we've got a two-tier system, but there are plenty of other places. You've got combined authority in Cambridge. You've got uh, unitaries on the London fringe. How do you go about doing that? Because that sounds like a tremendous job. It is. It is. Um, I mean, the, the region is really complex and diverse. And, you know, along with the things that you've already mentioned, we've got things like, you know, innovation and tech corridors, uh, an Oxcam ARC organisation. We've got, we've got a whole range of, of entities and it is such a jigsaw. And when I first arrived in post as uh, new to the region in terms of um, this part of my professional life, I was trying to put that whole jigsaw mm. together and, and understand it. The way we do that at ILGA is we are working side by side with central government. We are working side by side with the national LGA and with all of our 50 councils in the region. And it's our job to really influence policy as much as possible. So be involved in that national and regional conversation but also then be involved in understanding how that would best be implement, implemented in our particular region, because it's not one size fits all, you know, each region, and it's certainly not one size fits all inside a region like ours. Um, and we're a cross-political party organisation, so our role is very much to, to look at things in that, in that way, to hopefully bring people to consensus wherever possible about how things could or should be done, to share good practice and learning, to help people accelerate that. And in particular, you know, given all the constraints on resources of, of the public sector, if it's something that can be done once and shared, um, yeah. you know, across all councils or a group of councils, then actually we're a, we're a conduit for that. Um, and that's efficient uh, and, and really helps councils get ahead of the game. Yeah. Some sort of small experience of this, um, working for an MP, you, you kind of... Is it you kind of get to see sort of how the the, the national civil servants work in, in in Whitehall, and how that kind of feeds down and down and down? When sort of central government, um, in particular, I would think the Department for Leveling Up, or whatever it's called this month, uh, comes out with with what it comes out with, uh, is, is your is your role as ILGA kind of to, to to translate that for your various members and say, well, f- for the unitaries it means this, for the two t- double tiers, upper tiers, lower tiers, it means this, and for the combined authorities it'll mean that. 
So is that is that what you you kind of find yourself doing? In part, in part, but you know, each each council as well has its own capacity and resources to be able to to, to do that level of interpretation to a greater or lesser extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose our role is to help um, signpost to the, the the kind of thorny areas of that. We wouldn't want to duplicate. We wouldn't want to just you know provide a summary of the latest white paper that you know forty nine other organisations might do the same thing. Um, what we would want to do is say, here's our summary of the levelling up white paper, but this is what we feel it means for our region, and these are the particular issues that we yeah. feel will affect our region out of that. Um, because we have a national LGA who um, absolutely would do the, here's the digest for the whole of local government in the country. So, you know, our role is to put the east of England slant on that and make sure that yeah. we are advocating for that. Fantastic. Um, so, ILGA is a, a what's called a politically led organisation. Can you tell us about what that means in practice? Yes, of course. So ILGA um, is a membership organisation that it comprises the 50 councils in the east of England. We've got all the councils in membership. And I mentioned that we're a cross-party organisation. So um, each of the um, four main uh, political groups in our region have a representative, uh, a, a, a chair of that political party in the region who then is on our management committee of ILGA. And on that, on that committee, um, you've therefore got uh, Labour, Lib Dems, Conservatives and the Independent Group represented. Uh, you also have the lead chief executive for the region, so someone who is nominated by their peers to take that role and represent all chief execs in the region. Um, and along with, um, for us, we have three political panels, committees, if you like, of ILGA that look at particular aspects of our work. So the management committee is the governing group, if you like, and then underneath that we've got three panels that focus on particular issues. So we've got one on infrastructure and growth, one on uh, people and communities, and then we've got one which focuses on our role as a local government employers association. Um, and that's, that's you know, perhaps not, 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 not well known outside of local government circles, but in terms of our status as an organisation, we're a local government body and we represent the uh, pay, terms and conditions and HR practice of councils. And we have a particular role in that regard with other regional LGAs and the national LGA. And, and we have a relationship with the trade unions through that role. So um, those three panels, local government employers, infrastructure and growth, people and communities, are, are the primary policy uh, groups that are operating within ILGA. And each of those is, is led by, by a politician. The ILGA Talent Bank. Can you tell me about the I Talent can. Bank? What is it? Yes. What does it do? So um, to, to put this in context, I'll just describe the four parts of ILGA and the Talent Bank is one of them. So... We have a that policy and advocacy role, which is the subscription part of our organisation, so paid for by members by subscription. And that's broadly in two teams, a general policy team and the local government, government employers team that I mentioned. There are two further uh, parts of ILGA that aren't funded by subscription. So the first one is our strategic migration partnership, which we'll perhaps come back to and, and talk about a bit more. Um, this and that's funded by specific government grants for particular purposes. And then the Talent Bank is a commercial part of our organisation. So going back to 2013, uh, roughly around that time, there were a number of um, 
independent uh, consultants or associates who specialised in local government in our region, who very often councils would be looking to call upon to help with additional pieces of work. And ILGA at that time took the decision to create a, a small talent bank of those people mm -hmm. that could be um, drawn down and accessed by our councils through ILGA, uh, a trusted source of, of those people. Um, over the course of time, that talent bank has evolved. So it started off pretty much around areas like um, HR because of our role as a local government employers association. We have great skills in that area. Quite often councils need help with external advice on HR for all sorts of reasons. And so that, that's how that began. But over the period of time, um, we've actually added in consultants and associates on all the kinds of topics that, that, that are challenges really to, to councils. So asset management, uh, transformation of services, um, health and care, um, you know, a whole range of things. Climate change, uh, obviously, yeah. uh, in the last yeah. few years, become increasingly difficult for, you know, to get specialists that actually councils need to draw on. And because our councils vary in size, as you mentioned, you know, from smaller district councils to larger county councils, often district councils um, need to bring in a specialist from time to time because they don't have that, that in their organisation all, yeah. all year round. Um, so district councils are high users of our, of our talent bank. It's been a great success for ILGA. And... It provides a, a bit of a commercial income that gets ploughed back into what we generally do, yeah. um, which means that we can do a lot more than we could if we didn't have the talent bank. We've now got um, over 80 associates in the talent bank, and it's a really well-used service. I mean, talking of um, sort of a, a bank of talent, you've got your chief executives group as well, which, um, which has you've got a lead uh, chief executive, as we know. And it just interested me that you've got this kind of mix of district chief executives for district councils. You've got chief executives of more than one district council, uh, thinking Trevor Holden at South Norfolk uh, being one example, and Broadland. Um, you've got uh, Norfolk County Council and upper tier authority, combined authorities, unitaries. How is that? I, I mean, is it, is it a case that they've always got something to share? And how does that, how does that sort of dynamic work? It's a really good group, actually. And interestingly, from the pandemic has come you know, the, the virtual meeting of chief execs became the norm. Uh, and before uh, the pandemic, I think they were meeting less often, but in person. Mm -hmm. We're now in a situation where that chief execs group is a, is a really um, well-functioning group of people who meet once a month virtually um, and also in person occasionally during the year. And what we've what we've done there, certainly since I've arrived, is try to create an agenda for that group once a month. It's just an hour. You know, chief execs are, you know, hugely busy people with lots of things to juggle. But to make that a, a really meaningful hour for them where they can come together with their colleagues, seek support, um, share um, learning. We have, um, obviously, speakers coming in on particular topics um, that are kind of hot topics of the day. But also, you know, discuss sort of tactical responses to things that are difficult, you know, where we might be being asked to coordinate a response across the whole of the region back into central government. Yeah. Um, and our lead chief exec takes a particular role in that regard, too. But what we've also done is, um, if you think about the chief execs as a group, 
Um, they'll have come up, most of them come up sort of through uh, local government, in particular director roles or portfolio roles, and they bring particular um, skill sets. So one of the things that we've done is, uh, aside from just having our lead chief exec, we've got chief execs who take a particular topic role on behalf of their peers in the region. Right, I see, yeah. So, you know, if we were, I don't know, um, asked to respond on a particular, say, children's services matter, we've got a lead chief exec who takes a particular interest in yeah. that area who who we can then engage with right. so it's it's a it's a good it's a good sounding board and it has a collegiate feel absolutely you know, if you can imagine there are there are days in local government that are really really challenging <laughs> yes. for chief execs and mm. they're able to talk to each other in that group in a chatham house yes kind of they're very way. important yeah um and and just you know share what what is on their minds uh, can I come on now to the sustainable growth prospectus, which is a great piece of work. And uh, I really, uh, you know, the, the highlighting of the huge opportunity and potential of the region is is where, you know, where Eastern Promise comes from. And can I just ask what the impetus behind that was and what 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 drove that forward? Because, as I say, it is, it is a really good, really encouraging piece of work. Thank you for that. Um, I mentioned that period where we were coming out of COVID and looking at the recovery needs of the region. And also my, at the time, it had been very difficult for me to go out and meet people face to face. So I had to build the entire network um, remotely. Mm. So I met all the chief execs and leaders on, on Teams calls, all the strategic partners in the region in the same way. And I started to put that jigsaw together for myself about how, how, how do we describe this region? What, what are we saying? And I kept asking people, where's the document that tells me, you know, what the East of England is and how it's constituted? And where do yeah. I find that all in one place? Well, it didn't seem to exist uh, at the time in that way and, and, and clearly post-pandemic. So um, one of the things that I... It, it was a bit of a personal challenge I set myself... Um, in a way, to say, could I convene a number of partners from across the region, some of whom I'd only met briefly at this stage and, yeah. and on teams, to say, if we offered to produce a, a prospectus for the region, would you, would you help us with the content? So Absolutely, yeah. I had uh, a couple of teams calls. I remember this so vividly. I had a couple of teams calls where I had all these people on the call and we were trying to gauge interest and the ability if, if you like to kind of condense all of this massive information into a into a sustainable growth brochure for the region and get it designed you know have an actual map that showed where all the assets of the region were um and i must admit at the beginning i thought this isn't you know this isn't going to happen this is this is going to be too difficult but over the course of about five months um we were able to gather the information in, have a kind of core of people to help edit that with us and then publish it. In it was July 2021, I think, mm -hmm. when we published the document. And I am really proud of it, not, not just because of the fact that it obviously does contain that information that we all needed to have, but that ILGA was able to lead that and convene that. And also for me personally, being relatively new to this type of work in local government, um, that that I was able to facilitate some of those early meetings to try and bring people along with me when you know I was new to them and yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a it was a tough time to be doing something yeah. like that. So yeah, very proud of that document and 
that then led on to a, a, a second document, which which was October 2021, uh, where we, we we looked at that um, prospectus and said, right, what's our offer to government as a yes, result? Yes, that of was this? done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a, a almost like a two part a two part document, and I think that that really kind of put Ilga on the map in terms of those relationships in the region. They had always been there, but this was a new era you know, where we mm-hmm. really need to consolidate that message yeah. and start to work with the transport bodies really, really closely. People like Cambridge Ahead, um, you know, make sure we've got kind of one voice going into government as much as possible. Yeah, that's so important, yeah. Yeah. And, and you have a very powerful convening role to play. And I just, regular listeners will know this is a tiny bit of a hobby horse of mine, but you, you picked the absolute right word in offer um, the, so quite often, I, I back in the day and, and, and more recently, when I've done some work as, cons- as consultancy, there's always the talk about the ask. And yes, there, there are always going to be asks, but it's how you couch it. And I think from that document, from what I read, you had that absolutely on the nose. You set out such a rich offer, um, uh, and the map is incredible. You look at the map and you just see all these, you know, uh, it's like a, a million... Uh, spots of light, um, almost. Uh, God, that's hyperbolic, hyperbolic but I'll, I'll plough on. Um, might cut that. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, and what were the bright spots that you, you found? Were there, was there anything particular that stood out to you? Because I'm constantly getting surprised doing this about what you find and what you come across. But how about, how about yourself? I think, to be, to be honest, it was the, the level of ambition overall that really stood out for me, that... Um, I wouldn't say that the region was kind of hiding its light under a bushel, but it was almost like that, that um, there were pockets of really great innovation and opportunity. And some of those are really well known, like the life sciences, you know, in, in, in Cambridge or in and around Cambridge. But when we look at the the ambition that's going on in other parts of the region that wasn't getting that that level of, of kind of visibility nationally and globally, it just seemed to me that, there was an opportunity to present that and say, yes, you know, we're a, we're a global gateway with our ports. Um, you know, we, we've got these sectors like the creative sector in, in, in Hertfordshire. We've got the life sciences. We've got, you know, um, univers- incredibly, you know, excellent universities, not just in Cambridge, in, in this region. And we, we need to start, you know, maximising, accelerating that, that growth that, that really will come if we can align all of the pieces together. And by that, I don't mean the geography because it's distinct and different and has different needs, but things like the transport infrastructure and the digital infrastructure, which you know has been a patchwork and, and, and not connected and not providing businesses and, and councils with the full you know, massive opportunity that, that we would have if everybody mm. did have access yes. to mobile coverage and and broadband coverage um if everybody did have actually a a public transport system that allowed them to be um traveling easily to work um across our region not just between you know big conurbations so there's so much to do there so yeah it was about trying to um bring all of that together and say to government look you know there's good return on investment here for the Treasury. We've yes. proved that over time. You know, spending here generates a lot more for mm. UK PLC. 
Yes. Um, and that, that was the message that we really wanted to get across. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm a, a firm believer, and Eastern Promise will always be standing for, uh, the seeking out of opportunities in something like the Oxcamark, which you mentioned earlier. Now, if you're here in Norwich or Ipswich and Suffolk, you may think, well, what's in there for us? But I mean, I'm sort of often like you sort of basically saying sunshine's lovely, isn't it? And inviting someone to agree with you. But it's it's it, do, do you agree that, you know, is, is, is it a role Ilga can have in sort of highlighting actually these are the opportunities and you've got to be in it to win it? I do think it's a role for us. Um, councils are the placemakers. They are the conveners of partners at place. We do that on a regional basis, but each individual council is doing that in its own in its own place. Mm -hmm. So the more that we have a coherent narrative about our places, the more everybody benefits, you know, individuals and families in, in communities, councils as conveners, their partners. Um, you know, it's, it's about pulling that together because ultimately it's about what makes a great outcome and what makes a great place for people to, to live, work, play, bring up their families, mm. etc. So actually this is a, it has to, has to have that coherence to it. But it's not Elga's role to advise a council how it should design its own place. It's, no, it's no. A, it's, it's about looking at the region as a whole and making sure that when opportunities are coming in to the UK, maybe inward investment opportunities, that our region is ready and has an offer ready for Yes, that. exactly. I mean, uh, I talked to the chair of Cambridge Ahead, uh, Harriet Fear, who was, we were talking about foreign direct investment, and that the feedback that they'd, she'd got was, uh, and, and, and part of the reason she's doing what she's doing with Cambridge And is that there needs to be a shop window, there needs to be that, that, uh, that signposting. And that that is that is that is really important. Um, was ne wasn't quite sure how to phrase this question, but obviously, the levelling at white paper has kind of rung changes for particularly Norfolk and Suffolk in local government, and we're sort of seeing um, the beginning of changes of roles of, sort of various parts of the machinery, like uh, local enterprise partnerships. Um, has uh, Ilga got a role in sort of helping, and I'm assuming you do, helping uh, sort of local authorities find out where that lands. And are we going to see more bodies like Transport East and e East uh, England's Economic Heartland be formed sort of between councils to sort of take that, that forward, do you think? I think local government's got a, a really strong history of collaboration, actually, and peer support. So I think, I think yes, in short, I think we are going to see more of that. You might say part of this is out of economic necessity, but I actually think it's more than that. Mm. Um, I think it's in the DNA of local government to work collaboratively as peers, yes. which isn't always the case, you know, uh, across other other parts of the public sector. It's not it's not quite that that way. So. I think we will see more of that. Um, clearly, there's a there's a there's a political aspect to that. I'm in a politically restricted post, so I yes, I'm not. I'm, to, I'm, I'm not going I'm to refraining uh, go down from that go down that road. But in terms of making sure that councils can get the best opportunities from funding that's available from government, whether that be competitive bids or devolution. You know, the, the job of ILGA is to make sure that people have the information and the tools and the collaborative opportunities to do that. Um, so 
you know, we we would help facilitate that if if people wanted us to. Um, but more than that, we would we would really make sure that um, everybody is participating fully in in the funding opportunities that are there. And let's face it, some of those have been quite frustrating lately um, mm-hmm. in terms of the levelling up funding that's been um, allocated by government. Councils have had to bid in for that, and and that that creates an element of competition, not not collaboration. Yeah. So, you know, there are some there are some levers in there and some issues that all need to get kind of ironed out I think but at, at, at the bottom of this is I think getting the best bang for the buck taxpayer wise and ensuring that the the strong foundation of local government collaboration can withstand some of the mm. churn that you know is going to happen as we go through these devolution type discussions yeah absolutely I mean I recall um, the end of uh, EDA and the RDAs and the Government Office for the East, having met um, Barbara Follett when she was in post. And I know that Daniel Zeichner, who is co-chair of the APPG, is is very much hoping that he will, will once, you know, one day, who knows what's going to happen, that's up to the electorate, but to take on that role, maybe. Um, But you mentioned levelling up, and you've... Eagle have put out this, in in concert with the APPG for the East of England, uh, an incredibly, incredibly detailed, but... At the, by the same token, uh, very. I'm, I'm leaping through it now, dear listener. Um, very well written, very straightforward, um, and it goes into incredible level of granularity um, about what's happening and what the barriers to change are in various places. I suppose I should start by asking, what does levelling up look like to Ilga, or is it? basically a basket of pictures depending on which part of the region you're you're talking to i think leveling up for for us is actually making sure that every community in the east of england benefits you know when you look at this report you can see some of the data for our region is really quite stark and quite concerning Mm. and not all of this is in the gift of local government to solve but uh much of it is with the right tools and funding um, and the collaborative partnerships, including with not just within local government. So our, I suppose our view would be the reason that we wanted to do this report was we felt that levelling up was a was a was a white paper. It was a it was a phrase. It was a what does it really mean? I think everybody was grappling with that at the beginning. And so because, as I said earlier, our our approach to all of this is to say, what does it mean for the east of England? We looked at the the 12 missions and said, you know, well, where are we in the East against these missions? What's what's the benchmark? What does good mm. look like? You know, there's targets in here for 2030, et cetera, um, that government have set. But, but, but how are we actually going to know that we're making progress towards those? And do we start from a very poor baseline or a good baseline in relation to all of these? So we we thought it would be helpful to give that analysis to help our councils and their partners think about, well, if I am going to leverage more opportunity out of levelling up, where should I be focusing my attention um, and my priorities? And how will I know if I'm making progress? And my final point on this, I suppose, is that the 12 missions really have to be taken together because... um, it's actually the whole the whole jigsaw that we need. So, 
you know, the health and care outcomes, the educational outcomes, the transport, the digital, all of it um, needs to work together. And yeah. so looking at each mission individually is actually not helpful. And, and what, what you will see through this report is that we make the links between the missions. Yeah. I mean, it's first of all, it's co very it's commendable, I think, that you just said, well, we have no way of judging this, so let's find a way of judging this and find a way of judging them against the priorities of the East of England. And also, um, what I want sort of reflecting on what you've just said is there is a school of thought that suggests that greater improvements come by focusing on strength, improve, you know, improving your strengths, bolstering strengths, and which generate better returns than focusing on the weak spots. Um, are we now approaching a point in the east of England where our ability to do the former, to bolster those strengths, is being undermined by the fact that the weak spots are, uh, yeah. are still weak? This is a really good point. So if you look at things like the number of graduates who don't stay in the region, educational attainment levels for our schools, our transport infrastructure, which has got major gaps, um, you know, these are things that, and this is a medium-term endeavour, you know, whether mm. there's a levelling up uh, white paper or indeed a, a levelling up mission or 12 missions going forward, these, this is the stuff of inequality, um, all of it. Yeah. Um, so if you're not tackling these issues on a, on a medium to long-term basis, then you are going to be holding back mm. um, opportunity um, for people, families yeah. and the region as a whole. So, yeah, we've got some key stumbling blocks in here, actually, and that's what the report has uncovered. We don't know how the government is going to yet measure these missions. Yeah. We don't know whether there's going to be a, a league table, a, a set of data. Oh, God, I hope not. And we had oh, some really interesting discussions about, well, how, you know, we haven't scientifically assessed each of these missions, you know, with like a number of percentage points. We've done a, a sort of confidence factor. Um, and we felt that that was a good start to say we feel, you know, more confident about this being achieved, we yeah, feel less yeah. confident about this being achieved, because we haven't got um, a baseline framework no. for that yet. It's a great turn of phrase, and it's a really, it really, you're right, it doesn't, it doesn't say, well, we are like, we think this is, this is the score, because you've kind of almost insulated yourself against, well, where did you get that from then? It's like, well, this is our confidence, and you can't take our level of confidence away from us, you can boost it if you like you can reduce it if you like but this is what we feel um and it's interesting you mentioned graduates because i did a, a sort of for, for a previous interview look at this and yes a, a lot of our graduates go but the level who return is is is, is highest anywhere so i think there's a there's a you know please you know g give our graduates these fantastic experiences and then send them back to us <laughs> so we have the benefit of all that lovely experience thank you very much um that's great um and I, 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 for the next question, I, it's more of a plea, actually. Um, we did, on Eastern Promise in October, um, a, a, a networking event on, on the Norwich to Cambridge train. And we had a fantastic I remember that. reception at the end. And uh, I saw myself on telly. I've lost so much weight since then. I tell you, I, was like, I looked at myself and I panicked. Anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, we had a fantastic uh, set of roundtables recorded uh, on the train. Uh, Ridge sponsored the train tickets. Uh, Carter Jonas in Cambridge 
put on a fantastic reception for us. I was hoping to do it again um, in the run-up to Cambridge Tech Week, but I think that, unfortunately, um, the uh, the unpredictability of, <laughs> of strikes is going to make that... I don't want to march everyone up a hill and, and have to march them back down again. Um, but one of the things that came across in the, the transport panel with Jonathan Denby of Greater Anglia, we had Breckling Council, Andrew Holdsworth uh, there, and we also had Andrew Summers of Transport East, uh, which is fantastic to have, have them all with us, is that it was uh, a campaign that got the Cambridge to Norwich service to an hourly status. Now we've got Cambridge South hopefully coming online soon to give everyone on that line access to the biomedical campus, or much easier access anyway. Can we can we sort of light a, start lighting a fire under half hourly, please? Because I, I think the, 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 the benefits that would bring... Um, it seems a, a weird moment to talk about rail services, but we sort of, I, as Jonathan Devery was talking, I'm thinking, Ooh, what would a half hourly do? And that's where we went. Well, what would a half hourly yeah. service do? I said that one time. What would we were talking about? Not, oh, isn't this dreadful, the strikes, and isn't it all falling to bits? What could we do with half an hour, every half an hour? So is, is that something that Ilger and, uh, and, and, and friends can, can look at, please? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm really keen to see if we can... Uh, start the campaign again, having been so successful last time. I mean, you're right, you know, you should be able to measure uh, increased productivity and opportunity uh, on, on, on rail services hourly and, and half hourly. We're currently on, on a campaign to get the four trains uh, an hour back at Stansted. Yes, which hasn't, um, you know, returned fully since, since COVID either. And there's also a temptation, I know, to talk about the passenger services, but Actually, the freight side of Indeed. this is huge Indeed. in terms of in improved productivity and opportunity, not just in our region, but beyond our region. So all of these are high priorities for ILGA and the transport bodies. Um, you know, we've been we've been thinking about the. The freight infrastructure as much as we have the passenger infrastructure, because yeah. if you think of everything that comes through the ports in our region, a lot of that needs to get through our region elsewhere as well as into our region. Mm. And at the moment, we've got bottlenecks in that freight capacity as well. So, yes, passenger improvements and freight improvements, we're, we're on to both of those. Excellent. That's really good to hear. I shall, we shall uh, support you uh, wholeheartedly wherever and whenever we can. Um, on to looking at skills, the skills picture uh, interested me in the how fast-moving the skills picture is becoming in the region. Uh, if we think about the renewable energy sector, uh, and I know that turbine turbine uh, servicing, uh, RAF technicians are in, are in particular demand, I noticed, from, from people like Vanfall, and, uh, and I'm sure there are others, but Vanfall's the one that springs to mind. Um, how easy is it to keep abreast of that? Because we've got people like tech educators here in Norwich uh, doing coding boot camps, teaching people to be uh, software engineers and the like. Yeah. So how, how, do, how do you go about, how do local authorities go about that? So again, you know, in terms of the partnership working with um, skills providers, both, you know, adult skills, um, apprenticeships, T-levels, um, ILGA has a, a massive role to play there, actually. We have a, a big programme around apprenticeships and we are showcasing that for our region all the time, including a, a big Apprentice of the Year event, which, which you know, this year will all be focused on climate change-related topics, interestingly Excellent. enough. 
that's in in May. Um, so yes, um, this is this is a, a very important area for us. I think one of the issues that we're facing at the moment is we're in that we're in quite a difficult um, transition period. I think between perhaps old style skills provision and what we need in the future yes. and the, the proportion of people that will go through a, a kind of technical route versus maybe an academic route. Um, so a lot of the discussions are around that, how we anticipate with our um, higher education providers what those courses and skill sets need to be, you know, mm. three, four, five years uh, or longer ahead of time. If you think of things like EV charging infrastructure, for example, absolutely, or retrofitting um, people's homes away from gas boilers, um, you know, ambitions and, and targets have been set around those things. But actually, where's the skills plan that replaces, you know, that skill set of dealing with gas boilers to dealing with other sorts of, of technology? So... We're not a, an organisation that is, um, we're, we're influencing in that space. We're not an organisation that's designing and delivering that kind of training, obviously. But what we're trying to do is help our councils position themselves for a greater control of that skills budget, particularly for adult education, so that in those places in our region where there are particular industries that we're trying to grow, um, we're getting into really good partnership arrangements between business, skills providers, councils to say, actually, we can see we're going to need to have this number of people delivering in this particular skill set in our area. We haven't even designed a course yet that would would deliver that. And if we can work uh, to have more of that skills funding devolved to us, we can prioritise it into that specific area mm. and start to build something in that way, yeah. use the apprenticeship levies, in a particular way, Absolutely. think about the T level type courses that we that we want to to have in our local area, and I think those the people that can get ahead of the game on this because of all the uh, virtual learning. I mean, clearly some of this has to be hands on, but there is you know a lot of this is now virtual learning, or or even um, I suppose um, you know using other technologies to, yes. to experience learning in the in in the real world. You know, even in 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 medicine, you know, you're in that world now of of virtual reality. Um, there's an opportunity then to actually um, create more uh, economic economic opportunity by being an area of the country that develops that offer and then can provide it wider than just mm. your local area. So some of our councils, I know, are looking at okay, well we're going to build this set of um, courses and skills with these particular um, institutions, and actually we're looking beyond our region. Obviously, we want to to grow the workforce for our own local place but actually once we've got this it could it could then provide growth for that academic in, or, or technical institution um to serve other parts of the country with that with that course so yeah. again it's it's thinking beyond um the immediate into how this could become a unique selling point for our region if yeah. we're the ones that have all the green energy coast absolutely we, we ought to be able to grow the green energy skills and we ought to then be able to get those um uh you know rolled out to other parts of of the country yeah and what a huge opportunity you you, you, you highlight there um uh, not just for education for, for regeneration 
uh, with looking at the, the, the leaf facility in Lowestoft. So if you've got more ships coming in, bigger ships, more crew, you're going to need more facilities, more people to service those facilities, more people opening cafes and for when those people are on shore, or more people getting jobs, you know, um, in, the, in, the, in the facility itself, uh, whether that be you know, caring for the ships or just looking after the building or running running the show from the control room. Um, on housing, which you mentioned a minute ago, how easy is it for your members to balance uh, the need for speed and delivery um, and numbers uh, set by central government against uh, climate appropriateness, if I can call it that? I mean, Goldsmith Street... Uh, here in Norwich is an amazing example of what can be done by a determined local authority. But it's fair to say that there are, you know, the, there, there are plenty of authorities. I think are thinking, well, we we can't go down that road. Mm. We can't we can't possibly do that. So how how, how do you help members balance those demands? So um, I didn't actually mention in the early part of our conversation that aside from the three political panels, we've actually got a regional climate change forum. Yes. Uh, which um, has been in place for about 12 months. And um, in that regional climate change forum, they've been looking at um, standards for house building in relation to climate change and energy efficiency. And there are some things, I think, um, within there that, that our and this is a representative of the whole region, by the way, there are some things in there that I think our region would like to, you know, go further faster with. Mm. So, yes, there's going to be the kind of national standards and those are evolving in terms of climate change, of course. But I think in our region there is appetite to do more on that and maybe start to put um, more, a bit more pressure on collectively as to what we expect from construction in our in our region in that regard so and that's where by bringing councils together to actually say um you know as a region or as a county um we're actually going to set this sort of standard for what we're looking for um can actually make a make a difference to to the way that happens in terms of um speed and the the, the targets that government has set for for house building you know, we are, nationally, we are in a really difficult place uh, with this. Yeah. Our region has actually not, not been too bad in terms of delivery of housing um, comparatively to date. But the gap between what we've got and what we need is significant. Yes. We had an eight, over 8% increase in the population in the, in the last census for our region. Mm. And, you know, given the ambition um, to grow economically... Um, that I've described in some of the other work that we've been doing, lack of housing is going to be a stumbling block mm. for that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's top of people's minds at the moment. And from the levelling up report, um, there has been a real interest in delving into that housing chapter yes. further. So good. there's further work going on behind the scenes on that right That's good now. To know, yeah. Um, so yeah, housing is going to probably be you know one of our top two advocacy priorities this year absolutely i'm sure my for, my former boss richard bacon will be uh, will be very pleased to hear that and then of course it, it it keeps places alive those those extra people otherwise you know slowly and surely people will lose the you know the the the, uh, the facilities the assets they have as there becomes fewer and fewer people to support and, them you know our workforce for public sector for key workers health and care 
you know, we need that housing mm -hmm. to retain that workforce for the future. Right. Just before I come on to my final questions, can I just ask, I, this phrase stuck out to me, what is levelling down? Because obviously we want, it sounds like something we def definitely don't want to do. <laughs> but, it, I mean, is, is it? What, this was what I took from it, is that um, we, we often in this region get lumped in with the southeast and uh, not sort of pointing a finger at any political party or anything, but there tends to be, well, it all needs to be then moved elsewhere, uh, to which the answer was, well, how's that going to help anybody? You know, yes, they should be levelled up, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean, you know, you don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Is, is, am I on the right lines? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you are. I mean, obviously, we've, we've had... Um, the, the conversation previously was very much about sort of north-south mm. and the balance of of investment and opportunity between the South and the North. Um, so that that's one aspect, to make sure that this isn't all about, you know, a, a, a South to North re, readjustment, which, which kind of miss, misses out the East. <laughs> but um, actually, it's also to do within our own region. So um, we could, uh, as a region, attract a certain amount of funding from the various levelling up funds or through devolution. But actually, we still haven't solve the levelling up issue if it's just going to certain parts of the region and others are still remaining without that investment that they need. So for us, um, we're not, it's not about kind of a winners and losers situation, but as a region, for us to say that we've achieved what we would like to achieve out of levelling up or, or an equivalent policy going yeah. forward would be that all areas of our region have benefited and can see progress towards those those missions um, and that it isn't just one part of the region at the expense of, of others. Mm. So, yeah, moving moving the money around kind of nationally between regions and within our region, we've got a keen eye on that. Yeah. Um, our region hasn't done as well as it could have done out of that kind of um, investment previously, but it's still not going to be enough to say well, we've two counties have done really well out of this, so that's fine for the east of England. Yes, that's, that's not going to fly, There's, is there's it, no? deprivation and inequality in all parts of our region, mm. and it can be masked by what looks good and is happening in certain parts of the region. So this report is about shining a light on that, um, as well as saying, oh, and by the way, there's a 13th mission on climate change, which didn't feature in the level No, of, indeed. Um, white paper, which we thought was a major... Omission. A major omission, absolutely. Um, and just looking briefly at the East of England All-Party Group, because as, as we, we, we've sort of mentioned what a powerful convening role ILGA have, and you work very closely with the APPG, which is great. And what struck me, as I've lots of, over the years I've watched lots of these debates um, where, uh, you know, there are stalwarts like Peter Aldous and, and Daniel Zeichner and various others... Um, but is the sort of the bulk of East of England MPs sort of turn up to sort of make their point, and that usually in whichever party's in power, the, the, the response of the minister usually goes something along the lines of, "We love you. We love the East of England. We've spent all this money here. Well, I'll take what you have to say back to the Treasury, the Leveling Up Department, or wherever. But please be assured that we will always, we will always care and love and, and embrace you." Uh, and that's generally how it goes. And what I thought was really good about the, the most recent debate, which is on, on that, the levelling document, document, is that the, 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 the Minister of State, uh, Dehenna Davidson, 
Davison, rather, to Hannah Davison, kind of broke the mould a bit. I mean, she, did, she, she went as far as she could within the confines of her brief of breaking that mould and acknowledging the reality and saying... and, and, and really kind of almost telling it how it is, mm. which, which I thought was quite a welcome change. Uh, what was your reflection on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I, one thing stuck out for me as well, I think at, at one point the phrase was used, I've heard your, your, your sort of pleas about transport loud and clear. Mm. Um, words to that effect. Yeah. Um, and I really felt we got our message across that day. Um, it, it was really heartening to see that that come through. And we are we are receiving responses on the levelling up white paper, um, you know, from from government as 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 it is digested and 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 uh, and they 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 get back to us on it. So this is an ongoing conversation. Good, yeah. Um, and the the event this week is an opportunity for MPs, council leaders, chief execs to all be together in Parliament to focus on this report and to hear from the Minister direct. So we're, we're really looking forward to that. Uh, as am I. As am I. Uh, I should be there with my microphones. Um, for, for, for interviews afterwards, but um, I, I, should, I should add. So what's priority number one for ILGA going forward now? What is, what's the big thing you're working on? And, and I suppose, not to be grandiose about it, how can Eastern Promise support that? Well, I mentioned housing earlier. We have uh, another piece of work going on on housing right now, which will be uh, coming out in March. Um, so, yes, it'd be very interesting if, if we could have a look at that in, in a bit more mm. detail at that time. Um, children's services is another big area yes. for this year um, that we will be looking at very closely. Transport, of course, we've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. And an area that I mentioned earlier, um, which we haven't covered, but is the fourth part of ILGA and is by no means uh, fourth in order of, of priority, is, is our strategic migration partnership. So this is um, hosted in ILGA and is the regional support, expert support to councils on all things to do with refugees, asylum seekers, uh, and other visa entrants into the UK who, as we know, are being accommodated and um, we are in the middle of a real challenge in terms of helping councils deliver against that agenda. So that is a, a, an ongoing and very big priority for, for our organisation. Fantastic. Well, you have this tremendously powerful, as we've said before, convening role. Um, councils have statutory responsibilities and you, 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 it's, it's fantastic that you're there to kind of bridge across the region and, and take on those and, and, and assist in, in, in the delivery of those responsibilities and share best practice and bring chief executives together. You've got that, that, that political element covered, but in, a, in an almost non-political way. And um, it's, it's, it's been fantastic to read such authoritative uh, documents that sort of set out the challenges and the opportunities and the SWAT, I believe, uh, so clearly um, for the East of England. Uh, all power to your elbow and uh, look forward to, uh, to supporting what you're, what, you're, what you're driving towards. Thanks very much. Professor Gerald Davenport, thank you ever so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. My thanks to Cheryl Davenport for that hugely enjoyable discussion and I thoroughly recommend having a read of the ILGA report into the government's 12 levelling up missions. 
It's a landmark document that has been the subject of an adjournment debate in Parliament, organised by the members of the East of England All-Party Parliamentary Group, which is co-chaired by one of my previous guests, Cambridge MP Daniel Zeichner, and also MP for Waveney Peter Aldous. Now, Eastern Promise was lucky enough to be invited to join MPs, peers, council leaders and supporters at a special meeting of the all-party group at the Houses of Parliament in Westminster to discuss the report and to hear from levelling up Minister Dehenna Davison. Portcullis House. This is where the MPs gather at the tea rooms outside of the House of Commons to meet people, meet council leaders, journalists and other visitors from all across the country, all across the world. We are waiting for the East of England APPG reception here at the, in the Atley Suite, which will begin in about 15 minutes. So I'm just doing this little ramble, as a, not just a test of the equipment, but a little bit of an opener, because um, Dehenna Davidson, the levelling up minister, is giving the keynote, as is the chair of the East of England Local Government Association, Councillor Matthew Hicks, and looking forward very much to what they have to say. I'm here with the, the co-chair of the East of England APPG, Peter Aldous. Um, his, his fellow co-chair, Daniel Zeichner, when I interviewed him, sp spoke very, very glowingly of you. That must be nice. Well, it is, yes. And I think, you know, obviously, Daniel and I are from different parties, but we work very collegiately together on the, on the, on the APPG. And actually, there's a certain symmetry to it in that I am the, from the most um, easterly constituency in not only just East Anglia but also the UK, Waveney, and Daniel is more to our uh, to the um, to the to the west, representing Cambridge. And in many ways, there are great contrasts between Waveney, Lowestoft, and Cambridge. But I think it's, it's the message is we achieve so much more together. Yes. And ours is a region that probably, and this is what this meeting is all about. Our voice hasn't been sufficiently heard in Westminster in the past. We've not collegiately got together to make the case for the East of England. And that's what the all-party group linked to the councils, linked to businesses, and we've now got universities on board mm. as well. That is what we're doing. We've come to Westminster Day to get that message over. Realistically, I don't think we'll sudden, suddenly find a, a, an immediate dividend, but it's chip, chip, chip away and yes. getting get us noticed. We are a very, we are an area that delivers a great deal to the UK Treasury. We are. We can deliver a great more with Absolutely. the right investment in infrastructure and skills, which not only do people and businesses in the east of England benefit from that, so does the whole of the UK as well. Well, very excitingly, you sit on probably what is the most opportunity-strewn, opportunity-laden part of uh, not just our region, I think the country. Uh, you know, we've got the LEAF facility, which is going to do a huge amount for regeneration. Uh, we talked about that at length with Generate, which is based at Orbis. How ex that must be really exciting for you. I think there are op exciting opportunities across the whole of the region, and you're quite right, when you look at the renewable energy opportunities, all of a sudden, the, the 
Essex, the Norfolk and Suffolk coastline. We're right in the vanguard, right at the front line. And, you know, whether we've got nuclear size well, the offshore wind off, in, off, off our, off our East, East, East Anglian coast, the opportunities for hydrogen coming out of our the legacy in the UK continental shelf. We have a hell of a lot to offer the UK. And actually, we'll keep, we can keep the lights on single-handed. Councillor Matthew Hicks, leader of Suffolk County Council, chair of the East of England uh, Local Government Association. Can I just get your reflections on what you've heard this afternoon? Well, I think it's been actually a really interesting, productive uh, day. Uh, and to hear the minister today come and talk about the opportunity and understand the opportunity the East of England brings. Uh, it's a great place to work, it's a great place to live, and there's huge opportunity. And I think government recognises that, and you've heard the commitments and discussions that have taken place. So, all in all, I think the report was well received, uh, and I'm really pleased that the minister attended today to discuss it. It was such a well-received debate as well. It was uh, Her response was one of the most positive. Usually, uh, in my experience in Parliament, you, limited as it is, you get people sort of saying, but we love the East of England, we love you and we spent all this money and we'll, we'll go away and talk about it a bit. But she, she sort of really got as close as she could come to breaking the mould. And what I wanted to raise with you particularly is, I remember a long time ago at MIPIM 2015, Suffolk really coalesced around a single offer, a single pitch the, the, of, of Ipswich. Do we need to do that in the east of England as a whole? Do we need to coalesce around one thing? Or, or is there just too many jewels in the crown, as it were? Well, I think that there are a lot of areas of focus. And of course, the east of England covers a big area. But we certainly have an offer, and that offer is recognised. And I think government recognises the opportunity you know, of working better with the east of England. And I think the minister today was clear. She understood, they'd reflected on it, they'd read the report, and they, they looked at a way forward. Hello, uh, my name's Arnie Craven. I look after external affairs for Cadent. Cadent being the company that owns the gas network in the east of England. You, you absolutely spared my blushes there with exposing <laughs> any ignorance I may have. Um, you're speaking today at this event. Yes, indeed I am. Can you give us a snippet of what you'll be saying? I will do that, just for you. Um, I'm looking to speak about the energy future of the east of England. We have a real opportunity in the east of England to lead the way in terms of decarbonisation. Cadent is promoting quite a large series of investments around the east of England in hydrogen pipeline technology. Um, I'll be talking about how we bring in hydrogen at scale to the east can make a major economic difference, but also really help in terms of skills, jobs, and ensuring that prosperity, the east is a, very wealth, is a wealthy place of course, but with pockets of deprivation, making sure that investments really touch every part of the east. Well, of course, with renewables, we've got a huge opportunity to regenerate uh, places like Great Yarmouth and Lowestoft on the coast. Uh, we've got the Leaf facility coming online in Lowestoft, which I, I never stop talking about. Uh, and, and you're right, this is, uh, you've picked on the right word, uh, potential, opportunity <laughs> and potential, a portmanteau I've made just right now. Um, and uh, so it must be really exciting to get that across to such a, a, an August gathering. No, it's fantastic. And what, what I really appreciate about the APPG is the fact that it's one of the few forums where the East comes together and speaks with one common voice. And I think it's a very exciting time in the East, as you say, a potential, if you like. There's real, there's real a potential here. We've got a chance to bring billions of pounds of investment. And I'm really looking forward to the conversations today. Well, give me a minute to write our potential down so I can say I thought of it first. But uh, Arnie Craven, thank you and best of luck. Thank you. Anita Thornbury, Chief Executive, Haven Gateway Partnership. I know that it says it on your badge. <laughs> can you tell those of us who uh, sadly are ignorant of such things, like me, 
what the Haven Gateway Partnership is, please. Uh, it's an economic agency that helps the public and private sector to come together and grow the private sector. So business growth, employment growth and um, skills development, strategic skills development. And is that like a, are you a LEP basically or are you different? No, 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 no. Um, we're different insofar as uh, we deliver business support programmes um, as well as lobbying and that sort of thing on behalf of our partners. But we do a lot of business, actual business support um, for businesses rather than fund business support, which is what LEPs very often do. Well, it's lovely to see you here today. What are you hoping to take away from today? Uh, well, we're actually a sponsor at the moment okay. of the East of England APPG, so I've I've been roped in to talk. You're talking. <laughs> so I'm talking. I, I, yeah. this, this is one of those interviews where my ignorance <laughs> abounds. So it's fine. But it's uh, what I'm hoping to take away um, is seeing the public sector here the MPs here listening to what we have to say uh, along with business so that there is that genuine public-private voice into the MPs and the Minister to hear that the East of England does have requirements around levelling up, that we're not rich um, and we're not, we can't be ignored because if you ignore us then actually the UK PLC economy will suffer. Absolutely. Uh, can you give us a, a snippet? Is that what you'll be saying, or can you give us a snippet of that? <laughs> a, a sneak preview that's, that's uh, not that preview. sneak because no one will hear it until after you've said it. So, um, but the, one of the things I will be saying, I'm talking about Freeport East, um, and one of the things I will be saying is the the need for improved transport infrastructure connectivity. Um, so at a strategic level, linking it up better with Stansted so that investors can fly in and come and see the Freeport and invest in the Freeport, but also local connectivity so people can access the jobs. Well, I'm uh, hoping to get, get out to see the Freeport very soon. Brilliant. Uh, Anita Thornbrook, thank you very much. I'm looking thank forward to, see, to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Here's a man who needs no introduction, John Fuller, leader, South Norfolk Council, which I've just given him anyway. But what are you looking forward to from this afternoon, John? Oh, this afternoon, well, they're about to serve the food. Very important. <laughs> well, we all, there's 50 or so local authorities in Norfolk, Suffolk, Essex, Hertfordshire, uh, Cambridgeshire. So you know, it's once every six months we all get together. Hey, politics is a team sport. Yes. So, um, there are important local elections coming up, so I hadn't it, noticed. it isn't just about the technical minutiae of running a council and comparing notes. There's also a little bit of opportunity for some political intrigue tips. Um, I suppose we're about 60 days away, so also a bit more than that, perhaps 70 <laughs> days. You know, but, but, but the clock is ticking. And what, what kind of energy and enthusiasm and opportunity do you take from gatherings like this? Oh, I love it. I mean, I've been leader now for 16 years. I can hardly believe it. I've been elected for... That's two Nicola Sturgeons. <laughs> it, well, if that's, if that's the unit of measure, um, well, I can think of better ones. But I've been a councillor for 20. But normally, after 16 years or so, you know, uh, administrations tend to run out of steam. But um, we've just... Our ambition has never been higher. Our you know, financial strength has never been greater. Uh, I've got ca I'm sending council tax in our area tonight got a £120 million capital programme to make South Norfolk a better place of residence and business. When I took over in 2007, our Liberal Democrat predecessors left me 150 grand. So to go from 150 grand to 113 million, something's gone right, and you know, and we're halfway there. Well, um, the residents of South Norfolk, businesses of South Norfolk, obviously it got, you know, it's a fantastic part of the country. 
know it well, love it very much. Uh, John Fuller, thank you for talking to me and enjoy the event. I'm here with Lawrence Morris, Public Affairs Manager, University of Cambridge. Adam Thorpe, Head of Policy and Programmes, the second Head of Policy and Programmes from the Thorpe family we've had on Eastern <laughs> Promise, but this one's from the East of England Local Government Association. Adam, welcome. Hi Mike, good to see you. Good to see you too. And Lawrence, welcome. Hi Mike, thanks very much. What are the University of Cambridge hoping to take from this afternoon? Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting report. Uh, one of the things that comes through really strongly in it is the R&D strengths that exist in the east of England. Um, so I think that's something that we're really interested in, alongside obviously the, the infrastructure, the transport challenges that the region faces um, that, that are needed to support that, that growth potential. So that's something that we'll be, we'll be looking at. Now, we've got Harriet Fear uh, of Cambridge and on the podcast this week, who's spoken in glowing terms of the university, obviously. Um, and, but what, one of the things that we try and do on Eastern Promise is, is, is live to, by the mantra, let Cambridge be Cambridge. You're not going to change 800 years of history. You're not going to dislodge it from its, its, its position at, 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 the, uh, you know, at the forefront of life sciences. So let's, let's, let's work with that, let's use that, and let's celebrate that. Where, where do you sort of stand on this, the, the regional picture? Yeah, I think, you know, Cambridge, uh, you know, obviously is, uh, has got, you know, has got a, a world leading university um, and it's, it's a massive strength for the, for the east of England. But I would also say, um, you know, it, it really sits at the centre um, of connectivity down to London, uh, to the west, out to Oxford and then into the east of England, uh, to, to Norwich, to Ipswich. So I do think that those, uh, those corridors of connectivity, uh, Cambridge can only succeed, the east of England can only succeed where, where everyone works together. And, and Adam, what a, a, a diverse patch you serve. 50 local authorities, the entirety of local government in the east of England. You, you have a massive convening power, which we're witnessing this afternoon. How do you make best use of that? We're hoping we really manage to bring those councils together to have a single unified voice when speaking with important people like Dehenna Davison, MP Minister, who'll be addressing us later today, to really hear the voice of our councils and know that we're here we're supporting levelling up in the east of England, but we need more support from government and we need to be trusted to receive the funding and get on with it and deliver the outcomes that our communities need. That's a fantastic message and, and, it, and it's a great message to take to uh, the Minister because there's so much potential here from energy to life sciences as we've mentioned, isn't there? There is, yeah, a huge amount of potential. Energy, we've got the, the all energy coast on our coastline developing the green energy and we're going to hear about hydrogen energy from Cadent later today. So well. the east of England is developing a huge amount of renewable energy for the UK, which is brilliant. But we need to ensure that our communities and our places also benefit from that great work that's going on. So that's something that our member authorities are really interested in. Absolutely. Adam and Lawrence, thank you very much. Thank you. Paul Carter, Head of Public Affairs, Anglian Water, the very new Head of Public Affairs at Anglian Water. Welcome to this fantastic event. There's so many people from all across the region here. What are you hoping to get from this event? Uh, I think for me it's really about understanding the challenges that the region faces and how Anglian Water as a major investor in the region, a big employer, how we can support those challenges, how we can support the region to th really thrive. So I think for me it's really about understanding those challenges and looking what we can do to support those. I think that the Anglian Water region is one of the fastest growing regions in the country. We've also got that real challenge of climate change and water availability. So we really do have to be at the forefront of looking at new technology, looking at behaviour change campaigns to really make sure that we protect the environment and have enough water to support the region to grow. So I think 
there's a real challenge there to, to work differently with people, to work differently with businesses, to understand how we can restrict, reduce water use and make sure we're sustainable in the long term. Same with net zero, that's a big challenge for us to hit net zero by 2030. Again, that's about championing the forefront of technology, learning what businesses are doing in the region and really taking advantage of all the expertise that we have in the region. Fantastic. Paul Carter, enjoy the afternoon. Thank you very much. Now, this is going to be interesting. I'm talking to Andrew Sinclair, political correspondent, BBC East. Andrew, what a delight to see you here. And you too, Mike. I haven't seen you for ages. Hey, that's, 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 thank you, by the way, for all your support for our, our train event that, that went very well. Um, and actually, my appearance on Look East prompted me to lose a lot of weight. So I, I doubly thank you. We just like the idea of a conference being held on a train. We, you know, didn't the SDP do that back in the 80s? I wouldn't know. I was I was probably about 10 at the time. At least I hope I was about 10 at the time. But maybe uh, we were going to do it again. But I'm afraid the, the, the vagaries of the uh, the industrial action make it a little <laughs> difficult. I can see you looking over my shoulder because this is a, a room full of very illustrious people. Who's who's on your hit list this afternoon? Are you just here to listen? I, I'm just here to listen because, as you know, levelling up is sort of one of these pet projects, which means a lot to me. Uh, and I think, you know, the East of England has got to make a lot of noise down here at Westminster. Uh, and so I think any gathering like this, I'm just looking around at some of the faces, some of the people who are here, we've got a lot of MPs, a lot of councillors. This is what we need. They need to come to Westminster a lot because despite years and years of us doing stories about the fact that the East needs investment, it's still not happening. We're still not getting what we deserve. It's still going to other parts of the region. And OK, I know I'm the BBC and we're supposed to be completely neutral in these matters, but I'm also a local journalist and our region is not getting what it needs at the moment. And it's, it's a region that's really rich in potential. There's huge opportunities, especially in renewables. What an amazing time to be in the east of England. Well, yeah, exactly. And I've just actually been talking to James Palmer from the... Um, Eastern Powerhouse. Thank you, Eastern Powerhouse, which is what his organisation was called. But, you know, James Palmer was making the point that, yes, we are now, you know, the energy capital of Britain. We're going to be generating billions and billions of pounds of electricity, and yet, uh, our energy, rather, and we're just not getting much payback for that at the moment. And so, you know, this is a really big argument, I think, the people in this room should be making to government now saying, look, if we're producing all this energy, if we're going to have to cope with the inconvenience of having our land dug up or even have pylons put across it, or having substations put in, we should be getting something back for this. And that's a message I hope these people put to government. What a perfect note to end on. Andrew Sinclair, thank you very much for this very meta interview. You've taken your badge now, but you're Councillor Anna Smith, Acting Mayor, and you're the leader of Cambridgeshire City Council. That's right, yes. Yes. Well, can I just, first of all, get your reflections on what you've heard today? I thought it was really interesting, and what really struck me was just how much of a community of interest there was in the room. So we were all saying the same things, the importance of skills, the importance of Ely Junction, the importance of transport connectivity, good, proper funding reform that really delivers the funding that we need locally and the importance of putting the power in the hands of local authorities. I just thought it came across so strongly. It was it was really well received as, as the whole report has been. It's a really mm -hmm. authoritative work. Um, one of the things that... Oh, I've gone all echoing now. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I find is, is really... Because on this podcast, I often ask people, sunlight is lovely, bunnies and puppies are great, aren't they? And, and it's you, you, you're trying to get people to basically ag agree with what you're saying. But... To what extent do you think we're, we're basically we're going to have more success if we find a project, a place, uh, an, uh, something to coalesce around and bring that before government and say, look, this is what you want to do, this is what we've got, let's, have that, let's build that relationship? 
I think is crucial. I mean, I really do. And, and you're right that kind of, I know that as kind of journalists, do you like journalists? Is journalist the right word? Or I, I, podcaster, I'm, or? Basically, I'm just, I'm just a, a bloke with a <laughs> but, microphone and too much time. But I know that sometimes people love the kind of the fight, but actually that doesn't help the region. And what we need for the region is people coalescing around the key asks that we all agree on, because everyone in this room knows our region, they know our local people, they know the nuances. And if we can come up with one set of asks from the East for whoever is in power, I just think that's what we need. Now, we need that one voice. If all it feels like is Cambridge leading and everyone running behind, I don't think we're, we're really achieving what we need to for our region. Because there's so much inequality and there's also so much potential. And the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough combined authority is so much more than Cambridge. Mm. So... A wonderful person I used to know, who sadly died a couple of years ago, who was um, a local historian called Alan Brigham, used to say, Cambridge is one of those cities that gets bigger the further away you go from it. So That's a really interesting point. And locally, we're, we're a small town, but we've got that international reputation, and that does bring a lot of um, business in. I think there are two things I want to say about that. First of all, it's very important, even in the city, there are huge income inequalities that need to be dealt with. But it's also about sharing that across the region. Now, some of that is encouraging people to think more broadly outside of Cambridge. Some of that is thinking how we all link up. So how do the different skills and the different technologies we have in different parts of the region work together to make it strong for the whole region? And I remember the debate we had in the city council, and this was well before I was a leader, and listening to Lewis Herbert, who was council leader at the time, talking about why we felt it was important to go into the combined authority. And there was quite an, a big debate on that. And I remember him saying, we owe it to the region to work together. My thanks to Steve Powick, who administers the East of England All-Party Group, for inviting Eastern Promise to Parliament to hear a debate that didn't shy from the challenges, but also looked at the huge potential of our region. And thank you also to everyone who provided me with an interview. And now... According to legendary musician and guitar hero Frank Zappa, your mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it isn't open. Mindfulness is all about being present, stepping away from instinctive reactions to everyday experiences. But where in the east of England do you go to recenter yourself and be present in the moment? Let's hope our mental parachutes open for another round of... Crowd Sorcery. Yes, Crowd Sorcery. Now, be present in this moment and take a deep, cleansing breath. Feeling lift from your shoulders, that nagging sensation that a series of truly terrible jokes is just moments away. And know this, you cannot control what happens. Life is a dance. Mindfulness is observing that dance. Unfortunately, 
that dance is the hokey cokey. But hey, that is what it's all about. Okay, enough of that. <clears throat> Getting straight to the heart of what crowd sorcery... Crowd sorcery. Thank you. ...is all about is Tom Abbott of sustainable consultancy Green Easy. Walberswick for me, says Tom. Interested in comments here? Thank you, Tom. Crowd sorcery exists to find new ideas for places to go and things to do in our region. First in line to share her route to inner peace is Tana Assad, independent digital marketing consultant and trainer. A walk in the Fullborn Fen, where I live. Although my element will always be water and feeling most at peace near the sea. Agreeing with that is Cat Downs, conference and events coordinator. To the sea! If I've been stressed that sudden hit of cold water and then bobbing about literally washes it all away. Chroma, sea pooling, a river if I'm brave. However, I have been known to zen out in the supermarket chiller aisles. The wide aisles and cool spaces are tonic and I've been told designed specifically by architects to zone us out while shopping. Unexpected item in bagging area. Remove this item before continuing. Thank you, Thana. Thank you, Kat, and welcome to our little community of crowd sorcerers. The sea is a popular choice amongst all our respondents this week, so much so that I shall do this. Ah, uh, no. Not that one. Hard pass. Aha! Here we go. You'll all feel calm and relaxed in no time, and also desperate for the loo. Someone else who likes to be beside the seaside is Michelle Sorrell, volunteer manager, passionate about campaigning, public affairs and stories. The North Norfolk coast, where I grew up, says Michelle. At the weekend, we met friends in Sheringham, Blakeney and Cly, walking through Cly after dark in the quietness, through lanes of quaint cottages with the skies totally dark, and spattered with constellations was just lovely. Refreshing after city life and Farringdon busyness. Just missed the northern lights, sadly. That would have been a treat. Do wrap up warmly, though. Thank you, Michelle. Next week's guest, Richard Powell, OBE, environmental and charity advisor and independent chair, is a seventh-level crowd sorcerer and offers us these top tips. So many great places. Without driving, then down to the bottom of my lane, over the marshes to Halvergate, and then on to Burnie Mill. Any season, the space, the skies, the air, the sounds and the smells clear the head and makes you clear the mind and think. If I drive, then RSPB Minsmere or Lake and Heath Fen to do the same. By rail, Manningtree Station and walk to Flatford Mill is awesome. If it is a sunny day, the Dengue Peninsula, a really remote and spectacular part of the Essex coast, if I'm really controversial, then it has to be the west coast of Scotland. You can't beat it. Be brave and get out there. You won't regret it. I love just being out and walking. In full agreement with Richard is Michelle Chambers, business development manager at Chaplin Farrant. Love any woodland walks, east of England and beyond. A good run around my village and being immersed in all kinds of music during my commute to and from work. Yearning for a woodland canopy is marketing mage Laura Quelch, who says, I've been living in London for a while now, so for me, it's anywhere with a bit of green. A patch of trees, I'll take it. I do miss a good coastal walk, though. 
Now, in an updated posting, Laura shares the lovely grounds surrounding the Bradfield Centre on Cambridge Science Park. I shall be there in two weeks' time, Laura, and I look forward to experiencing the peace and harmony there. Meanwhile, once and future guest on this mighty podcast, David Powell's Norfolk champion and journalist of more than 20 years, ex-editor of the EDP and soon-to-be chief executive of Norfolk Community Law Service. Great question, Mike. It has to be running or walking along the coastal path. Stretch between Morston and Weybourne is a particular favourite, or the woodland and beach at Holcombe. Now, another Holcombe aficionado is genial gentleman of business Brian Bush, connector, solutionist, advocate. Says Brian, My two great mind spaces are beach and trees, so Holcombe is the perfect combination for that, and a coffee in the Victoria afterwards wouldn't ruin the day. Thank you, Brian. Simon Blackwell, founder of Hemp Innovations Limited, is another who revels in the clarity of water and wind. For me, it's swimming in the open waters of Ling or a bracing walk down Winterton Beach. But for business development professional David Fieldhouse, it's the joy of the open road. Long drive in my car with no particular place to go, says David. Always gives me headspace in so many places. Our honoured guest last episode, Harriet Fear MBE, Director of Cambridge and and Chair of Cambridge Ahead, comes to us with a true Pan-Anglian recommendation, with a recommended spot in Suffolk. Lots of really lovely walks in and around Coddenham, Mike, and great for wildlife spotting. Thank you, Harriet. In that case, stay tuned for next week's episode on the Minsmere Nature Reserve. Aptly, for the Executive Director of the History of Advertising Trust, the choices of John Gordon Saker, who's also Chair of the Norwich Film Festival and Board Member of the Norwich Bid, are all about travelling back in time. John says, Blink me out of season, and heading out to the point for me, starting back to the 70s. Meanwhile, Neil Griffin, Innovation Director, Business Coach, and 2AM Problem Solver, like how on earth one can be mindful at 2AM, offers this. The River Deben Walk, from Woodbridge to Melton for me. There's even a pub at the end in the Wilford Bridge. And there you have it, crowd sorcery. The important things in life covered. And that's about all we have time for in this action-packed edition of Eastern Promise. I have been your host, Mike Rigby. I'd love to get your feedback, so please drop me a line at mike at easternpromise.site. Thank you to Professor Cheryl Davenport and all the team at the East of England Local Government Association, as well as Steve Barwick, who provides the Secretariat for the East of England All-Party Parliamentary Group. Thank you to everyone who spoke to me during the reception at Westminster and my apologies to those I missed out. Thank you too to the Solenoid Sage, Pharaoh of the Fader, the Wizard of the Wavelengths and Jack of All Cables, Engineer 49. Next week, I'll be taking a tour of the RSPB Nature Reserve at Minsmere in Suffolk. Friend of the show, Richard Powell OBE, is our guide as the Eastern Promise team, that's right, there is more than one of us, explore the benefits of the natural economy, as well as the wonderful facilities at Minsmere. Join the flock and tune in. Until then, bye for now. (coughs) 
unexpected item in bagging area.